Welcome to the Olefins Weekly Wrap-Up. Today is Friday, March 31st, and I'm your host, Luca Powell. And I'm Pablo Giorgi. And together, as Chemical Market Analytics, we recap the top events moving the ethylene and propylene markets over the past week. The design of this podcast is to complement the content from the North America Light Olefins Weekly Service, otherwise known as the NALO Weekly. We're just coming off the back of two major conferences for our industry by AFPM, the Refining Annual Meeting and the International Petrochemical Conference in San Antonio. It was a busy conference. Our meeting room was bustling with clients and other market participants who wanted to know our takes on the current climate and what the future holds for our industry. So for those of us who are unable to attend, could you give us a flavor of the general mood of the industry? Of course. The industry seems to have um, accepted the fact that we are not um, in a post-COVID uh, boom anymore and the economy is facing challenges um, and is looking um, to understand how it's going to recover and when that's going to happen. Depending on the region, also the mood is a little bit different. Our Asian um, clients, especially in Southeast Asia, South Korea, Japan, are really concerned about um, the low margins for NAFTA cracking and uh, trying to understand when that's going to recover. While globally, all of our clients want to know when is China demand going to come back, the effect of um, the the debt on trade flows and and margins um, globally. And so I I would say the mood is not as good as as it was um, a year ago, Um, but definitely people um, understand we're going probably to have some sort of mild recession um, and are trying to see um, the way, you know, forward after after that. And what about from our clients' perspectives? What do you think their main concerns are? If you could, if you could summarize them. Yeah, yeah. I think everybody is is concerned, but also, um, you know, has come to accept the fact that both for ethylene and propylene, we have overbuilt capacity globally and um, especially with starts up startups this year um, and, and it will take some time to increase operating rates after that um, but there seems to be a very strong interest in understanding also about biofeedstocks um, you know both bioethylene and, and biopropylene uh, in different regions and and uh, particularly in the US, I was surprised to hear, um, you know, a lot of interest about that. Interesting. Could you give us a little bit of an explanation or a deeper dive into what biofeedstocks actually are? Yes, of course. Um, when 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 I talk about biofeedstocks, you know, ethylene and propylene, are basically referring to um, feedstocks from renewable sources, um, biological from plants, and so um, ethylene from uh, ethanol, for example, is one thing that there are several companies talking about, several projects that are 
moving forward and and about to be FID. Um, and and then in the case of propylene, you can also use that same ethylene produced from ethanol that can come from either um, corn domestically or from sugarcane, and in that case, typically imported. Um, and you can use that ethylene to, um, through a dimerization unit, produce butylenes, and then together with the ethylene uh, into a metathesis unit, produce propylene. And the advantage of going that route um, for, for having more sustainable feedstocks and, and decarbonizing the footprint of the plastics that are produced is that in the end, you have the exact same product. Um, and the way you did the decarbonization is through a sustainable feedstock rather than, you know, some different type of, of product. Although there's still interest in things like PLA, for example, but definitely much more interest in, in those types of bio um, feedstocks. And there are not only um, that ethanol route, but others as well, such as uh, biopropane coming from renewable diesel production. So um, hydrogenated vegetable oil, then the propane produced can be run through a PDH and, and produce um, biopropylene. So I, I think those are the two major routes where um, there's been interest in developing something in the U.S. But um, in general, I would say the interest in biofeedstocks um, is ha has grown significantly. So while we're on the topic of decarbonization, what was the sentiment around it? Obviously, it's an important and necessary step for us to be taking, I guess, as a as a society. But this likely comes with some concerns for the industry, especially as plastics alternatives are often higher in terms of carbon emitting than than plastic is itself. Yes, yes, I'd say, you know, all companies there were um, mostly reinforcing the commitments that they had already made um, for, you know, reaching carbon neutrality to at a certain point at a certain year and then maybe even carbon, um, zero carbon emissions at uh, further in, into the future. And they were all both reinforcing those commitments as well as in, in all cases that I've heard, um, you know, they were on track to meeting those, those commitments. So the, the industry remains committed to that. There's not been a lot of new, um, you know, targets on that front, but uh, in general, developments, I would say, is where we are. Some developments in terms of, you know, continue to pursue those targets and, and being on track um, with, with those. Cool. So another, I guess, sustainability-related topic is electric vehicles. Um, what did you hear from clients and um, other other members at the conference about how the industry sees electric vehicles at the moment as a potential opportunity? Yes, I, I would say, you know, electric vehicles are uh, focused globally and in different regions we have different uh, rates in which uh, they are adopted. Obviously, China is leading the, the, the world uh, in terms of, of the percentage of electric vehicles. Um, as uh, part of new vehicle sales. I believe last year, it was around 30% of new vehicles were electric. 
Europe um, is also migrating towards electric vehicles more rapidly. The US is um, more slowly uh, in that going in that path, but definitely um, moving in that direction as well. Last year we had around 6% of the new vehicles sold were electric. And in January, 7% were electric. So um, we are also increasing new vehicle sales, um, electric uh, new vehicles as, as a percentage of, of all new vehicles sold. Um, and the industry, I think, sees, at, sees it as an opportunity. Um, in terms of the U.S. market, the Inflation Reduction Act passed last July um, has a, a, a has incentives for um, consumers to buy electric vehicles, and those incentives are linked to a percentage of domestic material used in the vehicles. Um, and domestic material includes um, Mexico and Canada and some other countries with which the U.S. has uh, trade agreements with. And so uh, the industry definitely welcomes the domestic content uh, requirements. Uh, those percentages vary and increase year over year to give the industry time to develop the domestic suppliers. But I think it's it's a great opportunity um, to develop uh, US-based manufacturing uh, for all the, the car, the vehicle parts that are going to be in those electric vehicles. So in general, um, I would say, you know, there are there are lots of opportunities. And with that, let's wrap up the wrap up. To hear the latest development on all of these crucial issues and many others, and to speak with other industry experts, register for the World Chemical Forum in Houston in September this year. Take advantage of the early bird discount by registering now. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and give us a like or leave a review if you enjoy it. If you have any questions or would like us to cover something more specific, you can send us an email. Until next time.